Well, this morning we're blessed to um, consider one of the most wonderful psalms in our Bibles, and um, surprisingly not in the book of Psalms, it's in the book of Jonah. Uh, as, you, as you probably know, in your Old Testament, uh, there are many psalms, uh, inspired poems, um, songs, and prayers, um, not in the Hebrew Psalter, what we call the book of Psalms. There are psalms, for example, in prophetic books like Isaiah, uh, and we see this morning there uh, is a psalm in the book of Jonah, a narrative book. And, uh, you know, we've met Jonah the prophet, we, we've met Jonah the prodigal, and today we meet, by God's providence, Jonah the psalmist. If we, if we look at verse 1 of Jonah 2, are you in your Bibles at Jonah 2 now? Because that's all giving you time to get there, right? You know how this works. Um, the, the, the preamble to this psalm, or the, the superscription, if you will, really is no surprise at all. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And, and you just have to realize, of course, that that's not shocking at all. Uh, anybody uh, in a fish's belly, uh, it probably would occur to them to cry out to the Lord, right? So that's not a surprise. Jonah has run from God's commission. He, he has run from uh, the revealed will of God for his life. Uh, and we've, we've seen in recent weeks that we don't have to imagine what that is. There are, there are those among us, perhaps even today, who, who are in a state of having run from the specific will of God for your life. That was Jonah's deal. And he's been tossed into a storming sea, hasn't he? And he's descended into the watery deep and he's sinking all the way down where the, the seaweed waves from the, the bottom of the seabed there. And then finally, he, he finds himself strangely enveloped in a dark, uh, warm, uh, slimy cocoon of some sort, uh, even darker than the sea itself. It, it doesn't appear uh, from the narrative that Jonah is aware that he's in a fish while he's in the fish. We'll come back to that later. But he's bewildered, and he's afraid, and he's desperate. And so he prays. And I wonder if there are among us today any who are a bit bewildered by what you and I call circumstances, afraid, desperate. We're going to see what we're to do when the Lord allows us to be in such a place. Jonah prays. And it's not surprising that he prays. What's surprising is what he doesn't say in this prayer. I encourage you uh, in your free time. Do you have free time? In your free time, I think about how you would pray while in a fish's belly and then compare it to Jonah's prayer and note the difference. Okay, so we won't go into all of that. But, but what is surprising to me is what Jonah does say. Because he says what many of us ought to be saying right now in light of our own running from the will of God. Jonah's psalm, like so many of David's psalms, shows wayward disciples, wandering disciples, the way back. 
Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah's entire experience proclaims that great truth to us about the Lord's salvation, doesn't it? Jonah is not God's man because he always acts like it. He doesn't. Jonah is not God's man because he has earned the part of prophet. He hasn't. And In fact, if Jonah could lose the part, certainly by now in this part of the narrative, he would have done so. But salvation is of the Lord. It begins and is maintained and culminates in a work of God. Aren't you glad for this? The God who chooses Jonah, preserves Jonah. Remember that. The wind, the waves, the storm, the sea, all of that is to do with God preserving Jonah, not punishing Jonah. How many of you know that your sin, if you're a believer this morning, your sin has been punished in Christ? You will never be punished for sin. Disciplined for your waywardness? Oh, yes. In fact, if you're not disciplined, says the writer of Hebrews, you're not a son or daughter of the Lord. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so this is God's preserving discipline. And it's also a a preparation in the life of Jonah so that he might serve the Lord once more. And we're just going to look at this uh, psalm, this beautiful psalm, and we're going to notice five things about this prayer, okay? So if you're a note taker, that's the deal, five things. If you're not, don't worry about it, okay? You just listen in anyway. But I want us to notice that it's, Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord, and I got snagged right there. I got snagged right there. And I think we're making great progress because last week we, got, we stopped at the word his, right, in verse 1. Uh, this morning it's I cried out to the Lord. And I, and I got snagged there because I, I think it shows us that the way back to God when we've backslidden is a lot shorter than the journey that took us away from him. God hasn't gone anywhere. 
You have. I have when I've strayed. Every restored prodigal knows this. The way back to God begins with prayer. In fact, God has already taken steps toward you in his preserving discipline. God has already taken steps toward you in his preparing mercy. And before you kind of dismiss that simple truth, and that's kind of big crayon stuff, isn't it? Pray. Listen, like many of us, Jonah had been out of the habit of praying. And you say, well, how can that be? He's a professional religious guy. I mean, he's a prophet. He's supposed to pray. I mean, when he's having dinner with others in Israel and it's time to pray, everybody would look at Jonah and say, you should pray. How do we know Jonah's been out of the habit of prayer? Well, when the sailors, we met them in chapter 1, when they all began praying to their various false gods, uh, they begged Jonah to pray to his God, and Jonah did not. How interesting. Call on your God. They pleaded with him. No, no. Best to throw me in the sea. I know that this great tempest is because of me. And it isn't until Jonah had been gulped up and gathered into the guts of this fish that he prayed. In the King James, verse 1 of chapter 2 starts with the word then. Then Jonah prayed. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit is saying, well, finally, or you know, at last. And how do you explain such a thing in the life of a professional religious guy? Well, this, the same way you would explain it in the life of, say, a churchgoer today. Prayer is not a natural thing. That's why we labor in prayer. Prayer is a difficult thing. Prayer is a supernatural thing. That's why an awful lot of us don't pray, aside from the muttering to our dinner plates before we eat. That's always one of the elephants in the room among God's people. And here's why. People who walk in the flesh, people who live outside the specific will of God for their lives that is expressed in his word, such people are not praying people. How do I know? Because I've been one of those guys. True prayer is not natural, it's supernatural. It is the, the breath of a supernatural life, the born-again life, the, the God-dependent life, the God-communing life. In other words, you can live a perfectly natural life without prayer, which is to say without intimate communion with God. And sadly, many of us do so. And I wonder what God must do. What affliction might he deem necessary in order for his church today to be a praying people? To really depend on him and enjoy fellowship with him because we're actually living out what he's called us to do in his strength, not what we've decided to do in our own strength. 
So Jonah is constrained to pray. It's all he can do. But here's the thing. Do you mind being encouraged? Just for a minute, and then we'll go back to the other stuff. Um, this is praiseworthy. This, this glorifies God that Jonah cries out to him in prayer. The way back to God begins with prayer. Now, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're just going to describe this prayer, okay? And we're going to describe it in five different ways, or I am, and you're just going to go along with it. What choice do you have? And, and every description starts with the letter R, not so much to be clever, but just to maybe help us remember some stuff, okay? It's hard to imagine uh, a, a more dire affliction than what we just read of Jonah. But, but the thing of it is, is Jonah realizes that this really is affliction. It's not, it's not rejection, it's discipline, okay? It's not punishment. He's being schooled by a loving father. Uh, Jonah is in a watery ditch that he's dug for himself and he knows it. And so this prayer begins with repentance. It, it, it's a prayer of repentance. He, he knows he's in trouble, but this trouble has come from God himself and it's because he's being disciplined for his disobedience. And in a group of people this size, uh, it is almost certain that there are those here who are being disciplined, who are experiencing some form of the, the severe mercy of God because you are outside of his will. And the gospel calls you to ask yourself, am, am, am I in a, is it possible I'm in a ditch I dug for myself? How do we know that Jonah recognizes this as affliction from God, not punishment? Well, remember, he said to the sailors, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Think about what he's saying. He's not blaming the sailors for his plight. You don't read in here Jonah saying, you know, I didn't really mean that. I was just sort of tossing that out. I thought it was the thing to say, and I, I didn't think they'd actually follow through. He just owns it. No excuses. No blaming. No justifying. He just owns it. Listen, have you been brought to a place where you have an awareness of sin? And you realize God is your only hope. And so all you can do with respect to your sin is just own it. And you stop blaming other people for your circumstances. And you, start, you stop talking about how you've been raised by wolves and didn't have this and didn't have that and all of that stuff. And just own it. That's repentance. And God afflicts his children to bring about repentance. Re repentance is a, a, a grace. It's, it's an enablement from God. And God uses means, doesn't he? And, and one of his means is affliction. Remember, Jonah is, is first and foremost a book about God. 
And if we're, to, if we're to have a right view of God, if, if we're to know God as he is and not as we imagine him to be, uh, then we must accept that there are times when trouble and distress and calamity and anguish, uh, some unwanted, unfavorable circumstances, not always, but sometimes, um, may well come from God himself. He loves you that much. God loves you enough to speak in the language you'll be most attentive to. He prefers to speak to you and to speak to me straight up and clear from his word. He's doing that right now. Because there is this wonderful work of the Spirit of God where at some point God's people stop hearing the voice of a man standing in front of them and they start to hear the Spirit of God through the Word of God. See how different that is? But, but if you'll not listen to His Word, if your ears are closed to His truth, God is willing and able to speak in the language of affliction. Let me give you a quick example. Are you pressed for time? I'm going to anyway, but whatever. Um, we just observed one of only two ordinances the Lord has given to his church, the Lord's Supper. There's another one, though, right? What is it? Baptism, Baptism right? And God has declared in his word that it is his clear will for all of Jesus' followers, all of Jesus' disciples to publicly proclaim their allegiance to Christ through baptism. It's a, it's a primary step of obedience, God's clear direction for his people. And yet in um, Christendom today, let's just put it that way, uh, there are many professing Christians, Christians who have not been baptized. And we, don't, we won't take time to go into all of the, the reasons they give for not being baptized, but suffice it to say, none of them are any good. <laughs> if you're interested in baptism, and if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you should be, um, please see one of the elders about that. We, we want to be a church populated by those who obey the Lord. But there are other things. If you, you've got some besetting sin in your life that you won't let go of, you, 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 you've, you've got an unforgiving, critical spirit, you focused on the wrong kingdom, that was Jonah's deal. It was all about the kingdom of Jonah, not the kingdom of God. And God disciplines his people, not as a punitive judgment, but as a tender redirecting, leading his people to repentance. And God will do this in ways that are very unique to each disciple. So your discipline is unique to you, even though the scenery may be similar to somebody else's discipline. How unique is the discipline? Well, God prepared a giant fish for Jonah. That's fairly unique, isn't it? I mean, there's not a support club for that. 
There's no support group that meets, hey, everybody who's been swallowed by a great fish and barfed out again, every Tuesday night we get together, pick up a t-shirt. That's, there is no such thing. For the rest of his life, Jonah would share of this experience and he would never hear somebody say, you know, that same thing happened to me. God prepares unique afflictions to discipline his children. Uh, but, but why? Because that's the language we'll understand. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Because of my affliction. Now notice, second R, um, Jonah's prayer, Jonah's psalm, is also a psalm of rejoicing. In fact, uh, that's probably the most startling thing about this prayer. It's a psalm of thanksgiving from a guy. It doesn't seem to fit Jonah at all based on what we know about him. And it certainly doesn't fit his circumstances, or so we think. But it is nonetheless a prayer of rejoicing. There's gospel gratitude in this prayer. What do I mean by that? Jonah knows that he belongs to the Lord. He just doesn't act like it. He's a professional hypocrite. But he knows he belongs to God. And so when he cries out to God, he knows that God actually hears him and cares about him. Look at verse 2. We're making incredible progress here. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Jonah is, is recollecting this prayer. He, he sits, since written it down, uh, the, the cadence and the couplets and all of the, the psalmy stuff are in it now, but he's remembering this and he wants us to know straight up before we even know what we read in chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, we, we, he wants us to know straight up God heard this prayer. God answered this prayer. God cares about his wayward children. You see, God reacts, God responds, God delights for us to know that when we cry out, he cares about our hearts. God is actively attentive to the prayers of his people. He will, he will not close his ears to you. He, he will not turn his back on you. Not when you cry out to him honestly, sincerely, penitently in this way. And I really think, friends, that if more of us believe this, more of us would pray. I believe more of us would pray before the affliction. We don't, we don't have to wait until we're desperate to pray. And yet so many of us do. Nonetheless, Jonah's thankful. His, his gratitude, his rejoicing is evident in this prayer because it's rooted in this wonderful reality that, the, that God answers the prayers of his people. He, he doesn't ignore or disregard the cries of the repentant. Now, why do I mention this? Because I don't want any of us to believe the lie that God doesn't want to hear from you at some point. You know, that's just... 
one too many times coming to God with that sin. You know, you've been straying and straying and straying and you're still straying and it's just, it's, he's done with you. Don't, don't believe that for a minute. Don't believe that he's tired of hearing from you. Uh, that, that, he is, that, that he's run out of mercy toward you, that he, he's run out of patience with you. Other people have perhaps, but not your heavenly Father. I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And I want you to notice that Jonah's gratitude doesn't wait until he feels God, God's attentiveness. His gratitude doesn't wait until he feels God's attentiveness. Now pay attention now because we're, go- we're going in a direction. Have you, have you ever been in a place where you have not felt God's attentiveness to you? Of course. Of course you have. Feelings alone are often, not always, but often a very poor gauge of reality. Exhibit A would be the church in America today running around on the basis of feelings, not reality. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, says verse 2. Sheol, as many of you know, to ancient people, uh, was the place where those who died remained awaiting judgment. It's, it's, It's a euphemism for death, uh, more specifically, separation from God. And so Jonah is, is crying out with his feelings. He feels as if he's about to be separated from God forever. And, and you could be cynical. Are any of you cynical? You, you could be cynical and say, well, why shouldn't he feel that way, dirtbag? I mean, why? Of course he feels that way. It's good enough for him in light of what he's done. Jonah has not the raw fear that is just terror regarding God. Jonah has what the scripture calls the fear of the Lord. He reveres God. Listen to Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, it's right to fear the God who will judge the living and the dead. It's right to fear God who is holy and made you to reflect his holiness. It is right to fear God who will judge every thought and word and deed of every person who has ever lived. And the question is, will that be judged in Christ? (laughs) Or will you face this judgment apart from Christ? God delights to answer the heart cry of those who come to him in repentance and reverence. Do you fear the Lord in this way, friend? Do you fear him enough to understand that one day God will judge all sin which is to say all sinners, which is to say you and me. And he has graciously offered a rescue, a remedy in the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? (laughs) The world's already condemned. But that the world through him might be. There you go. The pardon we so desperately need. God has provided in Christ alone. Jonah knows that he is secure as one who belongs to God. And so despite his feelings of abandonment, abandonment, he's going to operate now on the basis of faith in God. Do you realize that what you know to be true about God is greater than how you feel about your circumstances? This is a a, a vitally important thing for the the life that we live out in Christ. What, what, What we know to be true about God is greater than how we feel about ourselves or how we feel about our circumstances. So it's the look of faith, not reaction to feelings, that we most need when we're afflicted. Even when the affliction comes from God. Even when you're in a ditch you dug for yourself. Some of you are familiar, I know, with a a collection of of messages from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. It's basically a collection of his sermons on the Psalms, or some of the Psalms. And and Lloyd-Jones says that depression and despairing of soul... Um, often result uh, from our living by feelings about life's situations, afflictions, rather than living by faith in God's certainties. And he puts it this way. He says, faith is not a matter of feelings only. Faith takes up the whole man, including his mind, his intellect, his understanding. It is a response to the truth. And you see Jonah doing this in this prayer. He's following in the footsteps of of King David and the other psalmists who who cried out to God, this is how I feel. Nonetheless, I'm standing on what I know to be true about you. And and you just got to wonder, well, how does Jonah know all of this stuff about God? If you're called to be a prophet, do you just get zapped with a certain amount of knowledge about God? He, He went to the school of the prophets, apparently. Maybe they taught him there. Well, the simple truth is that Jonah knows the scripture. He knows God's self-disclosure, self-revelation in the word of God, and so Jonah knows the nature of God. They go together. In fact, Jonah's psalm is very clearly modeled after some of the psalms that were already part of Israel's hymn book. He's all but quoting them. Listen to Psalm 18. This is a psalm of David. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Listen to Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. 
That was, that's one of the psalms of ascent. It was sung by the, 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 the Jewish pilgrims as they made their way uh, to Jerusalem, up to the, the Temple Mount. And, and because Jonah knows the word, because he knows this psalm of ascent, it now informs his psalm of descent, if you will, at the bottom of the sea in the guts of a giant fish. He's not feeling this, but he's clinging to it. He's clinging to the truth of God. Listen to Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Boy, that sounds, that sounds like maybe Jonah had read that one before, doesn't it? Turns out. You see, God's people know the nature of God when they know the Word of God. And, and the Word of God provides us the truth about God that must be brought to bear on our feelings in this affliction. So we live by faith in the nature of God, not how we feel in the moment about our circumstances. Listen, if God is using some failure, some affliction in your life right now, at present. Uh, Maybe it's the consequence of your ignoring his specific direction for your life. And and he's he's bringing you to a place of repentance and rejoicing that he hears you and and reverence for him. Uh, then, Then run to him, not away from him. He'll gladly hear your cry. Don't wait until you feel like it. Feelings are a crummy gauge of reality. Jonah is beginning to remember now that the the very things terrifying him mentally and emotionally and physically, they're all sent from God and they're all controlled by God and God loves him and hears his cry. Thirdly, this is a prayer of reverence Gospel reverence. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. In other words, this is God's storm. This is God's uh, deep sea. This is God's fish. Uh, Jonah knows this, and he knows that God is for him. Though he doesn't feel this, he knows this to be true. And then in verse 4, there's this wonderful repetition of a pattern that you probably recognize from your own reading in the Psalms. There's, there's feelings expressed, but then there are facts believed. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. He feels that. Has that is that what happened? No, no. Yet I will again look toward your holy temple. Same thing in verses 5 and 6. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That's probably not a feeling, right? That's probably reality. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. (laughs) How could you not feel these things? Of course you would. But, But what must faith proclaim That is contrary to feeling. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. The way back to God is prayer. 
prayer of repentance, a prayer of rejoicing that your God will hear you, a prayer of reverence for God. And notice that this is also a prayer of remembrance. Jonah is preaching to himself. And here's the thing. Most of us talk to ourselves anyway. Let's just say it. Let's just call it the way it is. Uh, some of us even answer ourselves, right? I was overhearing someone just the other day carrying on both sides of the conversation. I, I just didn't want to interrupt. But um, what was I talking about? We, we talk to ourselves anyway, right? So you might as well preach the gospel to yourself. That's what Jonah's doing in verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. You know, the word remember there is a verb. Remember eighth grade grammar? That's an action word. Isn't it? Isn't that what a verb is? Of course it is. So remembering biblically isn't just like, uh, oh, remember that time we took that trip and you, and you get the images in your head and you just kind of have them bouncing around there. No, remembrance in prayer is an acting on what you have retrieved from your memory. It's informing the way you're living now. There's a sense in which this practical faith, I'm not talking about saving faith, but just the life of faith, is an activity. It doesn't just come into operation by itself. It's something that needs to be exercised. So when you're in dire Straits, when you're, when you're overwhelmed, when you're despairing, when you're, uh, you're, maybe you're struck by the fact that you're, you're, you're in uh, a deep sea and, and it's kind of to do with your own wandering from God. Um, you, you remember the nature of God and then, you, and then w- with the help of the Spirit, you grab hold of that. Remember who He is and what He's promised you. Refuse to allow yourself to be controlled by the circumstance. Can you imagine the testimony of God's people over the last 18 months? How it might be differently remembered if, if fewer of us had refused to allow ourselves to be controlled by the circumstance? Refuse to panic. Remember the Lord. Refuse to believe the lies of the enemy. He's always he doesn't God doesn't want to hear you. God's done with you. There's no hope for you. That's that's rubbish for the child of God. And it and it won't come automatically without effort. The Holy Spirit will enable this in God's children. Again, let me let me just quote Lloyd Jones once more. He says, God's great concern for us primarily is not our happiness, but our holiness. In his great love to us, he is determined to bring us to that. And he applies many different means to that end. It seems like that's what's happening with Jonah, doesn't it? And God is graciously in the process of restoring his prophet. And it involves Jonah remembering the Lord. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. How many of you know that isn't necessarily a feeling? It's a promise from God who doesn't lie. 
Let's just end with this. Jonah, uh, although not terribly soon. You, you guys know how this works. We'll, we'll end eventually with this. Look, look, at, look at verses 8 and 9. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now it's possible that Jonah mentions these worthless idols and he's thinking about the sailors, all of them crying out to their fake gods and surprise, surprise, nobody listens um, because, because fake gods are, are nobody, right? They can't listen. Uh, but it seems, doesn't it, that perhaps Jonah is now referring to himself when he speaks of worthless idols? Isn't it Jonah who has been clinging to the idol of, I want things to be the way they always are and never change? Isn't it Jonah who's been clinging to the worthless idol of of personal preference and worshiping whatever gives him comfort and a sense of security as he remains in Israel, even at the expense of disobeying God? And so he's living outside mercy, meaning what? Well, it's, it's, it's that word kesed, that covenant love of God, that reciprocal covenant love of God for his own and his own toward God. Remember last week we said that um, Jonah is no Judas. He's not an apostate. He's a prodigal. He, he, he's he's a, a child of promise, if you will. And what does the, 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 the prodigal lose? The prodigal loses joy of salvation. I know this from experience. In my wandering, you don't lose salvation. You lose the joy of salvation. You, you lose the assurance even of salvation. This is a mercy from God. The apostate loses all hope of salvation. Jonah's no apostate. So Jonah, the prodigal prophet, he he sees now in in the pitch darkness of this fish's belly what has happened, and and he wants to get back on track. Let 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 me ask you this. Do you want to get back on track? The way back is much shorter than the journey that took you away. Will you not repent? Will you not repent of your sin and trust that it's all been punished at Calvary? The mess you're in right now, friend, is not to do with punishment. It's to do with discipline because God loves you more than you'll ever know. Will you not rejoice no matter how you feel that he hears your cry? And you come to him in reverence, not terror, but that fear that knows he's holy and he's called you to be holy and you've not been holy, but in Christ he'll have you anyway. Will you remember? Will you cling to the truth that you know about this God? That he's got you in his strong arms. He's not going to let go of you. 
And though you feel otherwise, you're not meant to live by those feelings. You're meant to live by the truth of God. Jonah wants what King David wanted when he sang this. He said, this is Psalm 51. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is about relationship. David wanted the joy of that relationship back after his sin with Bathsheba. Jonah wants the joy of that relationship back. And it took a fish's belly to teach him that. Praise God for the fish's belly. Jonah's prayer, finally, is a prayer of resolve. What do I mean by that? He says... I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. He's saying, look, I'm a prophet of the living God. I've not been living like it, but it's time to start living like it. And this is not a case of God twisting somebody's arm until they say uncle. The heart work that only God can do has happened in the belly of a fish. In the darkness of affliction, the heart work has happened so that Jonah can say with all sincerity, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh, but there's one thing I want even less, and that is to disobey my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this precious prayer, this wonderful psalm of thanksgiving. And I just thank you, Lord, that we can trust you to enable us to make use of it the way Jonah made use of the Psalms of David. We can remember this. We can, we can put it into practice in those many times that we find ourselves without words to cry out to you. You've given us some wonderful words right here. And Lord, I pray that if there are those among us who are apart from you. Jesus, that this Sunday of remembering the wonder of your salvation, that you've been lifted up, you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would grant to any among us who are your children, but we're wayward, we're, we're far outside of the will you've made plain to us. Lord, I pray that you would grant repentance and you would grant faith to turn back to you. We ask you this, Jesus.